We've entitled this series, To You, O Lord. I want to challenge you, if you haven't already, to know that you can read the book of Psalms as a book of prayer for your own life. Now, let's say you wake up in the morning and you say, well, you know, I've got a little time here. I'm going to drink a cup of coffee and maybe read a little of the Bible. And you pick it up and you go, man, that's a really big book. I mean, where would I turn? What would I do? And if you don't have too many study notes in the back, when you open it up, Psalms is about the middle. So you can usually find the book of Psalms. And we tried to remind you that there are 150 Psalms. If you take a base of 30, then that could be either five Psalms a day or take you five months to read through the book of Psalms. If you get to a month with 31, then you're just going to have to skip it for a day, all right? But you can figure that out, all right? Or you could take the book of Proverbs, and there are 31 Proverbs, so you never have to mess up there, okay? And just read one, but I'm challenging you to read for meat and not mileage. Now, what do I mean by that? Don't read just so you can say you covered the ground. Read it and let God take a verse or a word and let it grab you. And let God's word become the place where you say, to you, O Lord. Let it turn your heart toward him. That's why we've entitled this, To You, O Lord, the book of Psalms. And today, we come to Psalm 90. Now, as a pastor, for many years, I have opened funeral services reading from Psalm 90. I know that doesn't encourage you all that much, all right? But... Just to let the word of God establish a foundation for sitting there in a funeral service. Now, I don't usually read all of it, but I definitely read those first three verses because they are so foundational. Now, as some of you know, KK and I were away for a couple of weeks. We went to the mountains. We went to the mountains because we didn't, she said I wouldn't be fun to go anywhere else because I'm still recovering. And she knew if we went to the exotic places I had picked out that I wouldn't have the strength to be much fun doing it. So instead, we postponed that to next year. You say where? Malta is on the list. I've got some really unusual places that I'd like to see us go. But Back to the point. All right, so we're sitting on the porch, and we are looking at the mountains up here in North Georgia. And there were days we didn't even leave the cabin. We just just sat there and rocked. And her love language is quality time, so I filled her tank, all right? And so we sat there, and we looked at those mountains, and we prayed. And as I started thinking, now, you know, I haven't really picked. I can pick any psalm I want. But as I came to Psalm 90 and I thought about it, I thought, what an incredible prayer that we could pray together at Shalliford. And so today, I want to take you on a little journey of how I meditate on the Scripture. Not that it's going to help you, but since I'm busy, I try to take certain words that I can remember throughout the day. And I let those words be words where I think about what I read. And sometimes that's the way I'll set up a whole sermon and I'll be able to think about it all week by just remembering three, four, five words. So this morning I'm going to give you five words that relate to Psalm 90. 
Some of you are going to look at your watch after about the second word and do the math and say, we're in trouble, he's going to preach for two hours. Like, just relax, all right? Because not all of them are going to have the same amount of time. So don't do that to me, all right? But five words that I think could help us think about this prayer that I have entitled Eternity, Humanity, and Me. Eternity. That's the first word. Notice how it begins. Lord, you have been our refuge, or many translations say dwelling place. Remember, Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. And remember, it's the place we find life. It's the place that we live. It's the place we call home. Now, you know that home is not a physical place, right? You can be in a physical dwelling and still have a yearning to be safe and secure and accepted. I mean, that's what home is. That's why you can be somewhere else like we were in the mountains. And for two weeks, man, I was at home because I was with KK and she liked the fact that we didn't talk to anybody else. Remember, quality time. And so we were, we were at home, though we weren't at home. You get it? Look at what God says. In his word, Moses is praying, and he said, Lord, you have been our refuge. You have been our dwelling place. Catch the next line. In every generation. From generation to generation, people cry out to the Lord in his eternity and claim that he is what they need. Verse 2 says, before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. And yes, Jay, I noticed that you read Psalm 90 and picked the songs that talked about eternity forever, forever. Psalm 19 was on the list to read while we were gone. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. I don't know how much light you have physically around your home and I don't know if you get a chance to go outside after dark and look up at the sky but when you can look up at the sky without a lot of ground light man it's amazing how many stars you can see and I want you to imagine for just a moment people all over the globe can look up into the sky and they know there's a God. The heavens declare his glory. But they not only declare that there's a God who made us, but they declare that there's a God who is eternal and other. I mean, he was there before I came to planet Earth, and he'll be there after I'm gone from planet Earth. The psalmist writes, about eternity. Now, what, what do we want to do to apply that? Well, we know that if we humble ourselves and admit it, that there's a God with whom we have to do. And so, as the first word of eternity gives way to the second word of humanity, look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, you return to the dust, saying, return descendants of Adam. Now, isn't that encouraging? <laughs> you are 
dust. Sometimes you're reminded when you watch one of those whodunits and they're, uh, they're going into the morgue or they're taking out the, the, the bones from the grave that they discovered from many years ago. And you're reminded that your body is not your eternal dwelling. You live in a particle held together. I'm real scientific here. (laughs) Particles held together by the force that God has created in this earth suit. I mean, you go to space, you wear a space suit. You, You live here on earth, you wear an earth suit. And in this earth suit, you have a limited number of years. You, as an ascendant of Adam... Realize that your life here is very limited. Now, he goes on to say, uh, a thousand years like yesterday that passes by, a few hours in the night. You remember how Peter said it? Peter said, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. One kid read that, and he went to his mom and dad and said, I've been reading my Bible. And I see that, that a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So is that right? I said, well, then a, I guess a dollar would be like a million dollars, and a million dollars would be like a dollar. I said, well, okay, I guess that's right. Well, I wonder if God would just lend me a dollar, you know? I mean, we show in our humanity that we can't grasp eternity. And here, as the psalmist writes this out, he says, our lives, verse 5, like the grass that grows in the morning, in the morning it sprouts and it grows, and by evening it withers and dries up. Yesterday, I looked at a lawn that was well over two weeks grown, And I had to, don't feel too sorry for me, have a riding lawnmower. I had to grab the riding lawnmower and mow the lawn. And I remembered this verse. Just like a flowering grass, which I don't necessarily like in my yard. But the the flowering grass, the clover, okay? And watch it flower and then watch it, it's mown down. Here he says, our lives are just like that. I think it was also Peter that said, our life is like a mist. One day I, I preached that text and I carried, a, you know those bottles that you use to squirt when, you, when you're uh, ironing clothes? Any of you ever iron clothes? Okay, you, you squirt that little bottle and, and you iron, iron clothes. You don't iron them anymore. I know, but you, some of you remember that, okay? I took that little bottle up there with me and I said, watch, I want to show you. This is your life. And the little... Drops just fell. I'm very serious here. In light of eternity, we are like a blade of grass that grows and is cut down. Like a mist of water. Until we see how vastly eternal God is and how limited in our mortality that we are now, you've you got to dwell on verse 10 for a minute. Verse 10 says, our lives last 70 years, or if we're strong, 80 years. Now, the King James put it in a language of, 
it, you, you didn't see how straightforward it was. Nobody could do the two, three score and ten. Or you, know, you, didn't, you didn't figure out the scores, okay? You can figure out the score here. Seventy years. Eighty years. I'm not going to ask you how old you are. Some of you heard that we were on our 45th wedding anniversary, and you had to think, how old is he, all right? Well, I was 18 when I married. You can do the math, okay? I'm not 70, but I can see 70 from here, all right? And this scripture gets right up in my face, and it says, as for the days of our life, 70 years, or if you strength, 80. I live with a 95-year-old Marine who has proven that this text, when it talks about strength, you can live a little longer, but he's not going to live much longer. Humanity. Do we understand that all of us will spend eternity somewhere? Everyone. There are only two choices, with God or not. And you can figure out what that means. The psalmist is crying out to the heavens and he's saying, Lord, in eternity, you have always been there. In humanity, I recognize the limitation of my life. Now, I want to take just a moment and I want us to open up this passage a little further in considering history. I'm not talking about your history or my history. I'm talking about the history of this psalm. And I realize to even do it, I'm taking a chance because some of you remember that when I preached a few weeks ago, I told you the history of Psalm 3, I think it was. And today I'm going to tell you the history of Psalm 90. And here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to be reading your Bible someday and go, I don't know the history of that. So I guess I can't really read it. No, don't do that. All right. It's God's word. He's got something to say to you, even if you don't understand when and how it was written. And I'll confess to you, I don't know how, when, when most of the Psalms were written. It just so happens that this one has a note in it. Did you notice? It was on the screen a moment ago. I don't know if you can go back and find that, uh, that opening verse there, Nick. It might be fun to consider it for a second, if you can dig it out. Uh, it was the very beginning of Psalm 90. And I just want to show you, as you look at this in your Bible or you look at it up here on the screen, notice it says, eternal God, immortal man. That is nowhere close to inspired. <laughs> okay? That is called a chapter heading. And most of your Bibles have one. And if we went around here and took a test today, they would be different. Okay? But underneath that, you see a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Many, I'll, I'll go out on a limb, most of the Psalms don't have a little note like that. But the ones that do sometimes deserve a little digging, okay? They may tell us a little something else. I read a sermon by Charles Haddon Spurgeon one time on Psalm 90, and he spent quite a bit of time saying, I don't know why all the so-called scholars are arguing over this. We know this was Moses' psalm, and that was supposed to be in there, and it was inspired, and it was protected all these years. So I really believe this is a psalm of Moses. Most of you thought David wrote him. No, he didn't. Uh, this is a psalm of Moses. And I want you to look at this song. That's good enough, Nick. You can try to figure out where we were, all right? So we, we've talked about eternity. We've talked about humanity. And now we're talking about history. Who is this guy, Moses? 
man, it would be so much fun if, I, if we could just talk about it for a little bit. I, I, I'd be interested. In, well, let me just take a chance here. Let's do a little audience participation. Uh, in one word or one phrase, something about Moses. Who knows something? Yell it out, reel it out so we all hear it. He what now? Yeah, who else? What, what, what did he come down off the mountain with? There you go. All right. Uh, and what, what did he do when he was leading the people of God? He, he took his rod and he... All right, let's, let's back up a long way, all right? Let's put it, let's put it in... I'll give you a little quick chronology on Moses. You want to try it? He was, in, he was in Egypt. His mom put him in a little basket. Pharaoh's daughter found him, took him into the castle... He, he was raised there like royalty, like a son, stepson. He had all the education that he could want. And one day he was beginning to find out his true lineage, that he was from the Jewish people. He was watching the Jewish people as they were getting beaten and, and treated like slaves, because that's what they were, by the Egyptians. And he got really mad when an Egyptian soldier mistreated one of his brothers, and in his anger he killed him. He looked around to see if anybody saw it. He buried him in the sand, and people saw it. Later he found out, and they were ready to take his life, and he ran. And when he ran, he spent 40 years with his soon-to-be father-in-law. That's a great life. I've spent seven with mine. Okay, I know what that's like. He spent 40 years. He had to do all kinds of shepherd work and all that kind of stuff. And one day, he was out, and he saw a burning bush, remember? And when he saw the bush, God said, take, take the shoes off your feet. <laughs> I, had, I was preaching that passage in seminary, and believe it or not, we had video cameras when I was in seminary, all right? I know, I know I'm old, but we had video cameras. I, they were videotaping my sermon, and I had to go watch it later, okay, in preaching class. And I was preaching on the holiness of God, and I said, and Moses came to the burning bush, and God said, take off your feet. <laughs> and that's kind of what the, the other preachers in the room did. And I said... No, he didn't say that. He said, take the shoes off your feet. Now, I had to go watch that again on TV, all right? You talk about humiliating, all right? But Moses was at the burning bush, and God said, take the shoes off your feet, all right? Because you're on holy ground. God told him that he had to go back in and lead the children out. He said, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't do that. I stuttered. Then God said, okay, then. I'll let your brother be your spokesman, but you're going to go, all right? So he had to go back in. They had all kinds of plagues. They finally got to leave. We don't have time to unpack all those. And they left, and they went out, and they came to the Red Sea, and God parted the Red Sea, right? You're still with me, right? They went across the Red Sea. They came to Kadesh Barnea. They sent out 12 spies to see if they could go into the land. Ten of them came back and said, no, they're giants. We can't go. Two said, we can take them because God's with us. And that was Joshua and Caleb who said we can go and the people said well we're too scared to go and God said well then a generation of you will die in this wilderness before you enter the land and for almost 40 years Moses had been doing funerals then this psalm God, from generation to generation, you've been God. 
And we are just dust. And we die. But God, when I look at you, I find myself crying, verse 13, How long, Lord, turn and have compassion on your servants, still calling the people of God the servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love that we may all shout with joy and be glad for all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen your adversity. Now, does it make a little more sense to you to kind of get what was going on when this happened? And so as he cries out in his humanity, and he cries out at this point in history, we find ourselves saying, okay then, so how in the world am I going to deal with this? Because I'm not there. I wasn't part of any of that. Man, I'm glad you asked. we got to get to the next word. It was eternity, and it was humanity, and it was history, and now... I want to say theology, but I I really want to say gospel, okay? Some of you get so scared when you hear the word theology. Don't let it freak you out. You've seen a lot of people use big words that they don't really know what they mean and try to talk over your head, and they call that theology, so you're scared of theology. Theology is just two words, theosology, a study of, and it's just the study of God, okay? So let's study God for a minute. Every time I open my Bible and read, I say, okay, God, show me the gospel here. Let me see something about Jesus here. Oh, I know this is Old Testament, and I know this is long before Jesus physically was on earth. Let me clarify. This was long before Jesus came to earth as the God-man. But there's plenty of theology and gospel driving this passage look at verse 8 you've set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your presence God I'm a sinner I know I'm a sinner think about what he just said secrets remember long ago a comedian talking about a kid who was stealing a cookie out of the cookie jar said this little kid had been told by mom you can't have a cookie but he goes in the kitchen and he climbs up on the counter and he's too young to realize how sound travels and uh, the cookie jar starts making all this noise and mom goes in there and he's got this cookie in his hand and she says What did I tell you? You told me I couldn't have a cookie. What's that in your hand? Mommy, I got you a cookie, right? (laughs) Secret sins. Isn't it interesting how we think, well, that's just, that's not going to hurt anybody but me. And, you know, I I can just, the Bible is very clear. There's nothing hidden from his sight. And that ought to scare us to death. But even here, when he starts talking about the holiness of God, 
He says in verse 13, have compassion on your servants. He says in verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love. Now, I want to teach you the most simple understanding of basic theology I could possibly teach you. I can do it in two minutes, maybe less. On this side, we have the absolute holiness of God. What does that mean? He's other. We're sinful. He's not. That's simple. Got it? Never done anything wrong. Always been right. Perfectly holy, set apart, other God. On this side, we have the loving, compassion, merciful God. On this side, he says, I will by no means pardon the guilty. On this side, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now here's the question. How do we bring together the absolute holiness of God and the absolute love of God? Another psalm makes it very clear and simple. Righteousness and truth and mercy and peace have kissed each other. Where did righteousness and truth and mercy and peace kiss each other? On the cross. Where the infinite God-man had all of our sin laid on him. Does God take sin seriously? Well, he must He gave His very Son to pay the price of our sin. Does God take His love seriously? Well, He must. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son. I see gospel right here. I see gospel when I think about God's anger and holiness. But I think about His compassion And his faithful love. Do you see it? Eternity. Humanity. History. Theology. One last word. Personally. What about you? Remember we're reading the psalm not just to cover the mileage. We're we're reading the psalm to try to get some meat. And so how do we personally apply this to our lives? How do we say, okay, so here's what I'm supposed to do about it. Well, there are two places as I'm reading along that almost seem like the psalmist, we'll call him Moses now, turns and look what he says. Verse 12. He just said, we live 70 years. Which, by the way, you, you can do this. I mean, I don't care if you really want to. Go ahead and do it while I'm preaching. All right? Uh, take your number of years, subtract them from 70, and then multiply it by 365, and it ought to tell you something. Okay? And I look around the room, and to some of us, it's a much smaller number than others. Okay? 
In that context, verse 12, teach us to number our days carefully so that we can develop wisdom in our hearts. Hey, does that sound like a good prayer to pray? Lord, in light of eternity, in light of my humanity, in light of your holiness, in light of your mercy, in light of your love for me demonstrated in Jesus, Lord, teach me to number my days. For those of you that know me well, you know I've got between 25 and 30 books I want to write, okay? I got the titles already. Don't have the books yet, but I've got the titles, all right? And the other day, I, I started another one, and I actually wrote two pages on this one, all right? <clears throat> it starts off with the clocks running. Have you noticed, did any of you watch the World Cup? We actually turned it on. And, you know, soccer or football as they call it. Uh, the clock just runs. I mean, we, we get, every time somebody steps out of bounds or, you know, I mean, all kinds of things stop the clock in our football. Not in that football, man. The clock's running. And here, the clock's running. So teach us, Lord, to number our days. I have one life. It's really a short life. Lord, can I use it for your glory? What does wisdom mean? Simplest definition I can give you is to see life from God's perspective. Okay? God, give me wisdom to see eternity, humanity, and my clock that's running. But there's a second place in the Psalms where it seems to turn. And I believe it's very easy application for me and you. By the way, for years, whenever I would read Psalm 90, I probably only underlined verse 12 in this next one. Because <laughs> I didn't get most of the rest of it. But boy, I, I get it now. Verse 16. Let your work be seen by your servants. And your splendor by their children. I would underline that verse whenever I would come to Psalm 90 in my reading. And I would say, Lord, you know I do a lot of work. But what I really want is to see you work. I want to see you do something that it's really hard to explain. I hugged Taylor's mom this morning. I remember going up to her hospital bed, not knowing she was going to live or die, and praying and crying with her family. Lord, let her live. I would be so mistaken if I didn't give God credit for his work among us in your life. And it just so happens on the other side we have Brooke. And I remember going up to Brooke's hospital bed not knowing if she was going to live or die. And praying, saying, oh God, let her live. Let us see you work in her body. And the testimony, it, it's right here today, folks. We don't have to look any further. But could we pray that God would use us 
to reach boys and girls and moms and dads. And that when we think about our time together here at Shallowford, we think God worked among us. He showed his life among us. And it can't be explained any other way. Oh, I'm pleased for the physical miracles in their lives, but they're still going to die someday. We need to keep praying that we will see people come to Jesus so we'll know what's going to happen to them one day when they die. So let your work appear to us. Hey, and what about your children? We've got a lot of kids here today. I watched some parents out there signing in. And I told them I couldn't help them because I didn't know how to run those two iPads, all right? <laughs> we, got, we got a bunch of kids here today. Parents, what do you want for your kids? Let, let me give you a clue. You don't want them to grow up and one day say, yeah, they drug me to church every Sunday. You want them to grow up and say, my mom and my dad believed in a living God. And he worked in their lives. And he worked in our church. And I believe that he's real too. Isn't that what you want? You think you can control what they grow up to be and where they live. And I'm telling you, it doesn't work, all right? It doesn't work. But you can long for, let your work be seen by your servants. And let your splendor be seen by our children. And then, verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Oh, what a great blessing. What a, what a prayer. God, would you just keep your hand on us? Do you know what it's like to know that God's got his hand on you? And you're not running from him? You're walking with him? And his blessing is on your life? Lord, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Moses was saying, I'm not going to get to see it. I didn't finish that part about Moses a minute ago. Did you know that Moses didn't get to go in the promised land either? Do you know why? One day the children of God didn't have water, so God said, Moses, strike the rock and let water come forth. So he did. And they knew that God had just given them water. The work was seen by the servants and the splendor by their children. But time passed on, and they found themselves another day murmuring, complaining, and griping that they didn't have water. And so God, Moses went aside and said, God, these people of yours, you know, they're messing up again. What do you want me to do? God said, okay, look, I, I'll give them water. You go out there and you just speak to the rock and water will come forth. Moses left his prayer closet, went out, gathered all the people of God, and he and Aaron stood there and said, so I guess we've got to 
show you that we can give you water again. First mistake, he's claiming himself as the source and not God. Then he took his rod that had been the symbol of God's presence and power on the people. And he hit the rock. Now what did God told him to do? Speak to the rock. He told him to hit it the first time. This time he told him to speak to it. And after that little episode, temper tantrum uh, that Moses had, showing off and hitting the rock, God said, you can't go into the land either. Now, why was that so important? I think the New Testament explains it. Because that rock was a picture of Jesus. And when he is struck, living water comes forth from him. And he died once for sin. That he might bring us to God. And Moses, the second time he hit it, was proving he didn't understand the holiness of God and how to do what God said. Today, if you know Jesus, you don't need to get saved again. (laughs) All right? You got all of him the first time. We don't need for him to die on the cross again for you. We just need for you to speak and say, forgive me, Lord Jesus. Give me life, Lord Jesus. And if you've never yet met him, In light of eternity, don't you think this could be the day that you give your life to Jesus? Would you pray with me? Lord, as we stop and pray after looking into your word, we pray that you would teach us to number our days and realize our humanity and limited time here on earth. And give us wisdom, Lord, to see that we're not in charge, but you are. And show us how much we need you and how much we need your compassion and how much we need your faithful love. And today, I pray, Lord, for anyone in this room that doesn't know you, that this could be the day they see how righteousness and justice and mercy and peace kissed at the cross let them see how you took their sin when you allowed Jesus to be struck and now we ask that living water from his very life would be ours so we humble ourselves to the eternal creating God in our absolute need of humanity. Forgive us, Lord. Teach us, Lord. Guide us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Would you look this way? We're going to stand and sing a closing song. It's not just something we do. It's a time of reflection. It's a time time for acceptance for you to say God that was your word I receive it if there's any one little thing you think maybe God wants you to do because it just keeps coming to your mind that could be the spirit bringing that to you so during this song why don't you agree yes Lord that's what I want to do
If you need somebody to pray with you, I'm going to ask Johnny to come and join me. We'll be here at the front. We'll be happy to pray with you, tell you how to know God in a personal way or whatever you need. If you want to come up here and kneel, you do that. I heard Jay as he was warming up this morning. He's got a great song of reminder for us. When you feel comfortable, you sing along. And if you need to come and pray, you come. So as you stand, say yes to God.